Hello world, hello internet, and welcome to the JS League show episode 6. I'm here with my co-host Diana, who's gonna talk about our guest for this episode. Hi guys! There's been a change of plans here at the JS League show. We have the opportunity to make this episode with a really cool guy, editor-in-chief at Smashing Magazine and a really cool front-end, Vitali Friedman. Hi Vitali, thank you for being here uh, tonight with us. Um, I was going to ask you about the front-end workshop you held here in Bucharest and how did you get your idea? And I know you have uh, several workshops in the world. So hello and thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to spend a bit of time here in Bucharest and actually coming back. Uh, it's always uh, a little bit of an adventure for me because I know my favorite coffee shop places here and a couple of places to eat. So this is a very nice place to be. Um, and yeah, so essentially I would say that for quite a bit of time I've been trying to gather insights from different projects that I'm involved in and my colleagues are involved with. And so we, I always try to set up this kind of workshop that are very practical and useful. And so one of them actually happened today. And it was really interesting to see and explore something together and find out what you, you know, what are some of the mad front-end things that are kind of important in 2019. And it feels like every year is something totally different. And so, yeah. you know, this workshop was all about like front-end technologies, trends maybe, but mostly really technologies and things we can apply today and techniques as well. Um, in this mad world of ours. So this is where we are today, yeah. Cool, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you started with this whole front-end development thing? A front-end? I don't know if it's still a thing, is it? It's like... <laughs> I think it's still a thing. I think for people that work in the development space, it's no longer front-end, back-end and yeah. stuff like that. Sure. But I think for outsiders, they're hey, the people that make the things look pretty and the people that make the things work. True, true. It's very interesting because you have even conversations uh, these days. Brett Frost was the one who, I think, posted an article, maybe he sent out a tweet, I think, telling or mentioning uh, the front side of front-end and the back side of uh, back-end side of front-end uh, at this point we are really getting to you know this era where we have to differentiate because front-end developer what does it even mean these days um, i started working on i don't know if it was front-end back then it was probably not i started working on flash in 1998 that was actually pretty cool I actually really like Flash. I maybe miss Flash a little bit, just a little bit today. Uh, but uh, I remember vividly DHTML, VRML, Flash, and all those things. It was kind of a cool time in some way. And so I was just playing, and for me, the most exciting thing ever was to be able to publish something, and then just something would be available to everybody. So many people don't know that, but somewhere between 98 and 99, I was publishing a football digest uh, using uh, Microsoft Word, Word art, mm -hmm. that was kind of a cool thing, and I had I think forty five subscribers at the time. Oh wow! And it, I, I had a like a lot, right? Forty five uh, yeah. people. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And there was a virtual Ave.net, uh, if anybody remembers the domain, which was providing like free hosting in return for advertising. So, and so I had all my beautiful Word art right there. And then it actually went all from there, like into Flash. And when I brought, when my parents brought me to Germany in 2000, in the year 2000, uh, I was desperately looking for something that I would, 
that I would be able to use to make some money because I desperately wanted some money as a student. I think that some people might be in this situation at some point of their life. And so I was trying to find something that I would be able to earn money with. And then webmaster role was available in university when I was studying. And I essentially just signed up and I thought, oh, I, I can do a bit of webmastering. And so a little bit of updates of, uh, it was a page for uh, academy for some sort of course um, on German language and so on. And so I was basically maintaining it. Mm -hmm. and this was my entry point from where then I later I started going to freelance and I was working for seven years in freelance with different agencies and companies and uh, that was kind of fun. And then 2006, uh, essentially, yeah, it was like 2006, um, we created Smashing Magazine in September and from there on it was all about publishing articles and stuff. And though still I realized actually four years, five years ago now that I kind of miss front-end because I was all about publishing about front-end. So I moved back to consultancy and spent quite a bit of time with different companies, mostly in Germany, uh, working on front-end and interface designs. So that was cool. Nice. So how, how the Smashing Magazine idea started? All of a sudden or there's a story behind it? Uh, well, I was freelancing back at the day anyway, uh, but there was a, what I was totally missing was some sort of a general repository of useful techniques mm -hmm. and strategies and tools. Uh, there were a couple of resources, but I just sat down one day and I spent, I don't know, five, six months collecting everything I could find about CSS. And um, I set up a web developer's handbook, which was then, I mean, when Slashdot and Dig were kind of really huge. It got all over the place and it was on Digon and Slashdot and I thought, actually it's interesting, maybe we could do something, I could do something out of it. And then a colleague of mine at the time, he was publishing a magazine in German and so he knew a thing or two about online publishing. So he had the idea of what if we do something together, because I was writing for him as well um, at the point. And then we set up a more or less random WordPress blog with a random theme. Uh, with a random color and actually a random name. It was me who came with the name uh, and you know, like many names out there, like they don't really mean much. In our case, it was all about smashing people with the information that they would find <laughs> useful because we had a lot of really long articles which has become our signature. This is how it all started. So it was just you two? In the beginning yeah. it was just yeah. us two, yeah. How many people do write for Smashing now? Oh, that's very hard to say. We need to ask Rachel, who is editor-in-chief now. I really don't know. Uh, we don't really have like regular writers on the payroll. It's more about people writing about their experiences, sharing what they learned, lessons learned, case studies. Um, and so at this point, wow, it's, we probably have around, I think like three and a half, four and a half thousand articles in, uh, in the magazine at this wow. point. That's really big. Archive. Yep. That's a nice archive, yeah. So, can you talk a bit about the technology that you use behind the Smashing Magazine? You've talked a bit uh, uh, during the workshop and it seems very interesting. It's like the new trend of generating pages and things like that. Yeah, I think um, there was a fundamental shift for us, uh, which was forced by the way we evolved over time. So, since day one we were using WordPress uh, and I mean, I'm not saying that I don't like WordPress. We, we did a lot of stuff with WordPress and thanks to WordPress as a platform. 
And so it was actually very helpful for us from the very start. So I'm very thankful to the WordPress community as well for that. Um, but on the other side, when we started looking into the business model and the future of the magazine, we explored quite quickly, or we understood quite quickly that we need to connect the kind of connect the dots on the site. So as time passed by, we realized so we have the WordPress running CMS, but we also have uh, shop run first on Magento, then moved to Shopify. We also had a job board that was actually based on Ruby, uh, written on Ruby back in the day. Uh, which was still there and we had a couple of other things we had conferences for example running on a static site generator so it was all it all felt a bit disconnected and you know if you want to maintain the brand it wasn't easy at times um, and also layout wise and typography wise mm -hmm. and all of that and so we were thinking for quite some time at this point so we have all these touch points but then we also wanted to create a service, a subscription service. So somebody would buy that subscription, which has become now Smashing Membership, and they would need to get discount to everything. So they would need to, ideally, they would need to have a shopping cart, which would contain a job board posting, a conference ticket, a printed book, an e-book, and you know, everything that we have to sell, uh, that we're selling at this point. Yeah, so you needed just one platform. Yeah, too. and it was very hard to integrate and migrate all of that into a more or less meaningful way because you're supposed to be logged in and then you're getting discounts, right? So we had to look around and with WordPress it probably would be doable, but it was not as easy as we thought it would be. And we actually um, teamed up with Netlify because I know, um, so I know Matthias for quite some time and he was essentially the one who uh, set up uh, Netlify together with Christian I know as well and you know they're good friends and they seem to know what they're doing so they actually had the idea do you need to you know use server and lamp stack and everything that we're used to because we had this idea and so we started talking and they created the prototype and I was impressed with the speed of the prototype and how fast the website has become by moving away from lamp to serverless architecture with Jamstack and so we thought, okay, maybe we could give it a try. And so we spent a significant amount of time, to be honest, a bit too much time, uh, probably, like one and a half, two years. On migrating the whole On website. migrating and building and designing and redesigning at the same time. It was a massive project. I mean, massive. And we learned a few lessons along the way because I don't think there was a project at the time of that complexity because you have to integrate so many moving parts like authentication and all of that mm -hmm. um, that was built up on Jamstack and so we did it in so the end. you like contributed in a massive way to the community with the uh, whole well we also built out together with Netlify I must say or oh, they together with us uh, we built um, a set of tools open source tools I mean it's mostly their effort not ours we're just building the site mm -hmm. um, for comments for authentication for shop for CMS it's been uh, it's been an adventure that's for sure so I do not want to have a redesign soon again that's definitely the case yeah do you have any tips and tricks for the ones that want to migrate the whole new to a whole new tech stack I think actually it wasn't really a big deal of migrating the content. It was more about connecting all these different dots 
like the membership and the shop and the job board and the conferences at the same time. Okay, so in an and then with the new visual point of yes, view. Yes, and with the new visual identity that we had as well. Mm-hmm. That was just a lot of stuff. But I think that actually migrating from WordPress to static site generator based or powered uh, architecture isn't really hard. It's just exporting content in Markdown and then pre-baking HTML and CSS and JavaScript from there using Hugo or Jekyll or Gatsby and Go. I don't think it's that complicated really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's not that I have something against WordPress. I think it forced it deserves its place as well. Um, but in our case, it just made sense to move. Yeah, fair enough. Can you talk a bit about the particularities of the Jamstack you're using from storing where you store the articles in Markdown and how you build the pages and things like that? So we actually have a very relatively simple setup, I would say. So every single article, every single job posting, every single speaker, every single author, every single comment even, everything is stored as Markdown files. And so whenever we build out or deploy, what we end up doing essentially is just running it all through the build tool that builds out all the pages with CSS, with JavaScript, with everything. And then we push straight to CDN by also fetching uh, some stuff from the APIs that we're using, like for comments and other things. Mm -hmm. And then we just deploy straight to CDN. And so every time you have a change, uh, like in an article or in you know, the conference description or anything of that kind, behind the scenes, it actually generates a pull request that can be merged and then go either into staging or to master. It's, you know, the workflow that we all are used to and I feel very, very at home with it. So there is nothing groundbreaking really. It's all just a regular Git etiquette-based workflow. Cool. So the thing is that every every publisher uh, in print goes migrates to online, but you have it the other way around. So you have the online magazine and you've got some publishing books. So how was the idea of publishing front-end books or front-end related? Uh, in our case, actually, it was all about... It was kind of natural, I would say. So we ended up doing uh, online magazine and then there was the idea maybe we could do a book. Mm-hmm. Right, and so I mean, at this point, I have to amplify one thing. Obviously, um, you know, Smasher Magazine is a community project, but it's also a business. That means that we have we have thirteen people now, and so you know, I need to take care of the company, and so we're not we're not we do we still don't have any venture capital, and we don't want to, and um, so it's all bootstrapped in a way, and we as a team we're just trying to do the best, essentially. Um, But of course, we needed to think about the monetization as well at some point. And so books were one of those things. The other thing was conference that came later. And so with books, we thought, right, so maybe we could set up some sort of book that would contain some best practices. Mm -hmm. And so this was the starting point in Smashing Book 2009 or 10, I believe. It feels like a long time ago, though, now. it was very important for us to create books that would be timing, uh, timely. Uh, no, not timely. They would be timeless, timeless. actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they would not get outdated very quickly. Mm-hmm. So this is why we don't really have tutorials on specific frameworks, on specific tools. It's more about the way of thinking, how you design and build uh, in general as a strategy. And this is why, surprisingly even to me actually, even Smashing Book 2 or 3, I think if I look at it now, it's still relevant. Mm-hmm. It's not totally outdated. 
So I'm very happy about that. And yeah, of I course, the new books, uh, hopefully not outdated, outdated yet. Although with the state of things and the ball and evolution of front end, it's very hard today to you know stay keep you know, produce books that would be up to up to date in a year. Yeah, but but still there are some chapters I really like enjoyed the six the last one the new adventures in front end. Uh, particularly the accessibility part because here in Romania it's a it's a subject not very it's a topic that doesn't discuss that much so it's really nice to see those topics and like, to read about them and I hope and I know they will be relevant like I hope one, so. two I years hope so. five years so you mentioned the the conferences you're organizing I know there are two coming up in Europe and you have some in North America as well but can you talk a bit about how those conferences are and talk about what what the topics are and how the, do they run I think at this point it's really critical and uh, kind of necessary I would say for organizers of conferences to think about the format I think that many people are just not disappointed but they're just tired with the same old format same old speakers same old themes same old topics they kind of want to be challenged in many ways and so um, for us it's been interesting to explore how we can make conferences a bit more interesting and so one thing that we came up with uh, last year actually was to introduce the concept at least for this year Uh, where speakers are encouraged not to use slides. So no uh, keynote, no PowerPoint, no Google Slides, no. That's interesting. O- only talking? It could be whatever they want, whatever they feel comfortable with on stage. It could be something like a live coding session, of course. That's the obvious one. It could also be live design with the audience, an interactive session with the audience. I mean, with you know, it might be difficult with four or five hundred people in the audience, but uh, it's also an interesting experience. It could also be performance audit, or accessibility audit, or security audit. It could also be um, just something entirely different. Like for example, uh, in Toronto last year, we had uh, Gemma O'Brien coming from Australia, and she's a letter, and so she does a lot of sketches and lettering and all those things. And usually, of course, she has a very visual presentation with many slides of her work and so on. But because we kind of discouraged speakers from using slides, she had to do something else. So she ended up carrying over on the plane her entire portfolio of all the little projects she had when she was younger and all the little you know, sketches and tools that she was using, including her pens and brushes and all. So she took it all on the plane and you know, carrying from Australia all the way from Australia to Toronto, uh, from Sydney to Toronto. And Then she just put it all out on the stage and she essentially used an overhead projector you find in schools, mm-hmm. universities. And she was just drawing live and showing, like kind of interacting with the audience. And then when some question came up, she would just pull something like from when she was 15 or 16 and show how she did it or it was just remarkable. I mean, this level of, you know, session is just unbeatable. And speak, actually attendees really appreciated it and they felt like, Oh wow, so I like this because, um, that's what they told me, I like this because speakers had to work a little bit harder. It's really hard to prepare for this because you don't know what's going to come up. And now we also had a conference like uh, three weeks ago with Brett Frost and he was like, let's build a design system on scratch, from scratch on stage. And so he was just asking for recommendations and then somebody uh, essentially just shouted out, let's do Yahoo horoscopes. 
So he pulled it out and he just built it for Yahoo Horoscopes within 40 minutes. I mean, at least the starting point. And you know, the most important part for me in this all is that you kind of show how people work, not through the lens of their slides, which are always polished and clean. It's like slides are like Instagram world of, mm -hmm. you know, real work. But instead you're showing the work through the lens of how people work, the process, the thinking, as they loudly discuss the decisions. And so this is what we're discussing. Uh, yeah. This is kind of one of the fundamental format changes that happened this year for us. This sounds like a more intimate connection with the speaker. You get to see exactly how they work. It's like being in the room with them yes. when they work. And even better, it's like, you know, when they, when they look into the little tools they're using. Oh, right. So they're using the same Chrome extension that I'm using too. Oh, they're using the same Visual Studio Code extension that I'm using. So it's like a very personal relationship, I guess. A sense of familiarity with the, yeah. one another. And it, it, I think it sounds very cool to be more interactive and personal, not to be just me on the stage presenting and you listening and, you know, the only feedback received is at Q&As, so it's kind of like yes. old-fashioned. Yeah, and that if Q, if there are any questions, because yeah, if people perfect. aren't paying attention during the <laughs> during the presentation, then there's no there aren't gonna be any questions or at least any relevant ones. So yeah, this makes people be more focused on what's focused being presented. and active, yeah, and engaged. So yeah. you actually like are here are there in their presentation in the topic. So what are your next plans? Oh, sorry for uh, for your books. So we, oh well, we have a couple of books coming up this year. Actually, we have a book on accessibility coming up. Oh, nice. On inclusive components coming up, I believe, in a month or two. I will have to double check. We also have books on images and performance coming up. Uh, we also have a book on interface design patterns coming up. We have a couple of books. And even we have a smashing print, which is essentially, um, it's not a printed version of the magazine. It's like a dedicated printed magazine with content written specifically for the printed magazine. Mm -hmm. So while many people call, many companies go away from print, we're going towards print. So in our case, uh, printed books sell better than ebooks. Mm -hmm. uh, and because we invest a lot of time into design and the print quality and all. So this is very important to us. And I think that there is a lot of failure in a, in a, in a real life, like physical artifact you have in your, in your, uh, in your shelf. Yeah. So that's what we're looking into. So we have a couple of books. It's just we have we're busy. I think mm -hmm. yes, we are. Do you think that people are more inclined to like read from a book rather than online? So do you have some metrics regarding like paper paperback or online articles? That's a good question. I think in our case we just see for sure that people tend to buy more ebooks than books. Uh, more, more sorry, more printed books than ebooks. And so that means for us that we probably need to continue, that we're on a good track because we spent quite a bit of time producing decent books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, re that's really interesting because like a couple of years ago, every, uh, years ago, everybody was like with the tablets and... Yeah, Kindles are taking <laughs> yeah. over and the physical books are going yeah, away. Yeah, but it's interesting for me to see if I, because I like observing people. This is like my hobby, not like in a creepy way. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you sit in a coffee shop and you're drinking coffee. And I remember this hype when everybody was sitting with an iPad or Kindle and reading. And now I hardly see anybody, I mean, doing that in publicly. Maybe at home, of course, when, you know, before you fall asleep. Um, I'm not sure. But I, it's, it's really rare that people use 
those devices at least outside, uh, you know, in the coffee shop or so. Yeah, like I, I own a Kindle and I haven't used it for a couple of years now, but I've bought a bunch of books, of physical okay. books in the meantime. So yeah, I think physical books are getting uh, are getting more traction now. They're easier to share. They're a more social experience than e-books are. And also like your books and a lot of print books are good quality books that you can have for a while and they look good when they're printed. They're good quality paper, good quality graphics and things like that. So I think that helps as well. Yeah, also like if you look into the publishers, I mean the Book Apart publishes incredibly like beautiful, wonderful books as well. Very, very practical too. So you know, I highly encourage you to look into them too. So talking about books, uh, I just uh, realized, can you name some of the books that are your go-to books that you recommend to anyone wanting to learn about web development in general? I think like one of the books that really made a significant impact on me uh, was the book The Laws of Simplicity by John Maeder from 2001, maybe 2002, it is maybe even... Maybe 2003. It's uh, it's not a big book. It's maybe 80 pages or 100 pages, and it's one of those books which just defined for me the way to design. I guess it's just the way of thinking, which made me profoundly review like how I do things and how we approach things and build things. That was quite noticeable, quite remarkable for me at the time. Beyond that, I tried to actually, to be honest, I, because I spent so much time with technical books and front-end books and design books, I try to stay away from them as much as I can. Uh, and so, personally, I would, every now and again, I would pick up a monocle, like the magazine monocle, um, and I like the fact to, that I'm kind of being exposed to topics I would never stumble upon otherwise. It's just something very, very different. And on the one side, it kind of just broadens your horizon, but on the other side, I don't know why, but whenever I read all these articles about something entirely different from, I don't know, from a new architectural perspective that's trending in Japan towards, I don't know, how book covers are printed or designed in Norway or how people live in South America, I don't even know. I always kind of connect the dots in the end later. And so new ideas are born out from unknown concepts to me. It's really difficult for me to get creative by looking into our field of our industry. Mm -hmm. So I need something entirely different. Yeah. Yeah, this is I think how innovation works nowadays. You just like bridge the gap between two different industries or two different ideas from different domains. So it's like it's nice to read every now and then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for me, it's really all about like being exposed to topics I've never been exposed mm -hmm. to before. I like to be challenged. And so like the common thing I would do sometimes, and that might sound a bit weird, but I would just think about the most random keyword I can think of. I don't know, like, um, I don't know, something maybe along the lines of uh, animal protection law in South America. Right? anything of that kind and then you just go and you think and you explore uh, or also another thing that I like is like random Wikipedia page that's cool so you end up with a random page every now and again it's actually Wikipedia my start has, has a random page generator it's, it's like going to a random page on Wikipedia and learning about something oh, new. nice 
So it's like every time I open a new tab in the browser, it's a random page from Wikipedia. I mean, I, I learned about weird people doing weird things. <laughs> I'm not even sure why they're on Wikipedia, but apparently it's a thing. People like documenting their weird behaviors. They do, they do. So you talk a lot about emerging web technologies and the latest and greatest in, uh, in web. Uh, so what are some of the things that you're really excited about, really passionate about, and you'd like to see come to fruition and uh, reach mainstream? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are two answers to that, I guess. So on the one side, because I spent like half of my life or career, I would say, I spent in front-end development and the other half is interface design where we did a lot of tweaks and refinements on interfaces. Uh, and I feel like when it comes to development, web development, I'm probably most excited at this point in getting the basics right. So we are really good at solving some problems like we kind of have strategies for performance, we have strategies for web fonts, we have strategies for everything. But we, I feel like sometimes we don't really know how to connect the dots. So we have all the solutions, but then you don't have like this holistic one unified glorious solution that would be making website useful and relevant and interesting long term. And so I think web components, for example, could be that thing that will actually bring developers together. And I'm really looking forward to that, mostly because we have many camps now. We have React camp and Angular camp and Vue camp, and very often they're not even mingling at all. Um, and I think like if web components get to the point where they're, you know, as established as let's say, you know, React or Vue uh, or Angular, then we would be in a very different set of different environment in the community. Like I'm just imagining having like web components together with CSS Houdini together with custom properties, actually re resembling in many ways the infrastructure we're used to in JavaScript, but just for CSS. And so, I mean, there's Houdini with custom properties alone is, could be like, uh, you know, a JavaScript environment. And so if we take all of that together and plus add web components to it, it could be a really nice way. Like imagine somebody building up a web component for a date picker and makes it available and somebody else, you know, open source, of course, and everybody, somebody else is going to adjust it, make it better. And then we would end up with incredible solutions that would be cross framework solutions where you could pick up a date picker and plug it in in React and plug it in into Vue and plug it the same component in Angular and it would just work. I mean, more or less, of course. That would be pretty cool. That's on one side. And on the other side, I couldn't be more excited about privacy and everything that's happening around privacy from GDPR to e-privacy directive to the Privacy or Consumer Act, I think it's called, in California coming up in January next year, which are all trying to protect and provide more visibility for consumers and for users uh, into their data and how it's used. I mean, I don't think that anybody likes the fact that they're looking for shoes in Google one day or Bing or anywhere else really. And then all of a sudden, like five minutes later, you know, advertising for shoes starts showing up on Facebook and on WhatsApp and on Instagram and everywhere else. You know, still nobody wants to be tracked really. It's just there is no real sense of privacy for people. And so it's probably time for us to regain it back. Yeah, and I think the less private you feel, the less connected you feel with the technology and people are going to start running away from the technology instead of running towards it. I think it's not necessarily about running away. It's just people are really good at blocking things they don't like. 
So this is why ad blockers, I mean, there are so many extensions now for everything, for Facebook blockers, for ad blockers, for, for cookie blockers, for, uh, sorry, for cookie constant prompts. And, you know, so we're really good at fighting, I think. So we'll just keep doing that, I guess, for now. You talked at the beginning uh, that it, you couldn't like say front end anymore because it's not really front end. So you know it, it, it's a big debate and uh, gap actually between the there are now nowadays are two sides between the, the layout the layouting part and developers that do layouting and don't know CSS or sorry JavaScript or JavaScript frameworks. And actually, uh, in the last conference we've been at JS Heroes, there there are, were a lot of talks about front-end developers that w were only doing layouting and bits, bits and pieces of CSS, jQuery, the, like the usual parts, and they would not be hired because they didn't know a framework, React or Vue or so. Do you think so? We all know that the world is getting more and more complex. So, what are your thoughts about it? Do you think that we'll like we we have to like stay up stay up nights and learning all those new stuff and cool stuff that are going to be used tomorrow and change the day after tomorrow? I, th I think personally, it's really all about setting the right expectations from the very start. So, if you are front-end developer, then at this point, that means that you can write JavaScript. Full stop. If you're a front-end designer, which is kind of a different title, of course, but if you call yourself a front-end designer, that means that you know probably a bit of sketch and design and CSS and, you know, bits, maybe a little bit of JavaScript. You don't have to know everything. I mean, you don't really have to know everything about everything, but you can benefit from knowing a bit about the other disciplines as well. And so I would only encourage, I mean, this has probably been the most important thing that I did, kind of jumping from one thing to another and kind of getting a pretty decent understanding of the technology stack and how technologies work together. That was really, really helpful for me all these years. And so I can highly encourage people to do that. But uh, overall, I think it's all about picking up the title that best reflects who you are. And so if you feel like you're more on the design side of things, then it's probably wise to call yourself a front-end designer. If you're more on the development side of things, then probably developer. Yeah. Do you think it's like a front-end developer fatigue also, the part of the JavaScript world? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's difficult to be a holistic front-end developer at this point because I know many people who would even call themselves React developer, mm -hmm. uh, not JavaScript developer, and who would only take on React projects, for mm -hmm. example, because they have most experience in it. Uh, and I don't know, I guess it's okay because the industry needs everybody, React developers, Angular developers, Ember developers, everything. Um, but I think that the community overall could benefit from people who know a bit more about JavaScript first before they dive into React. So the basis, it's important to know the basis of the yes, JavaScript. I think, that, I think that the basics are not going to go anywhere. It might be that frameworks will fade away, but if you really know enough about like the foundation of the web, which is HTML, CSS, JavaScript, um, that's not going to go anywhere. In fact, I mean, you can find interfaces used in planes and in trains, and it's really extremely complicated systems, which totally run on, you know, web technologies these days. Mm -hmm. So I think it will be busy for the next couple of years or decades. Yeah, I actually we have a debate a couple of days ago about learning the basis. So you are a developer, you want to learn of 
JavaScript framework, but you don't know JavaScript. And it's, I think with all the tutorials and the documentation, you can like put, put some pieces together and do like a simple React or Angular app. But, and you don't have to know anything about JavaScript because it works. So there are two sides, learning the basis and I think it takes a lot of time, a couple of months to know actually how JavaScript works and foundations actually into beforehand learning yeah. a Personally, framework. But actually, if you know a framework and you don't know JavaScript, you can do just fine. So mm -hmm. there are different mindsets. I feel like personally, it's very difficult to be a very good um, React developer if you don't really know JavaScript properly. Fair enough. I, I feel like maybe this because is what React I see. Is JavaScript in yes. the end, it's all so JavaScript. So when you need to debug, you need to understand what's happening behind the hood. It's you cannot be abstracted away. Otherwise, you'd be spending like days or I mean maybe minutes on Stack Overflow. But this is then a Stack, o Stack Overflow JavaScript developer, uh, not JavaScript developer. So fair enough. There is a difference. Yeah. So where can people follow you again in a non-creepy way? Yeah, in no. a non-creepy way, the same way you follow other people. Yeah, well, I, I tend to write on Smashing, of course, uh, but then of course Smashing like on Twitter. This is where we tweet. Uh, overall, I would say we also have a newsletter where we always highlight what we do and what's next and where I'm coming next and maybe, who knows. I'm looking forward to coming back to Romania. Actually, I'm going to be back in Romania in in three or four weeks, I believe. Oh, nice. For, uh, for a conference called... Is it DevTalks? DevTalks, yeah. DevTalks, yes. Yeah. In Cluj. In Cluj. Okay. Cool. So, people who want to talk, talk to you can come to Cluj. Yes. Do you have also favorite coffee shops and restaurants in Cluj? No, I've never <laughs> been to Cluj, so this is oh, what it's I really nice I have 12 city. places in Bucharest that I like. Okay, that's probably more than I have. <laughs> oh, okay, but we, we probably shouldn't make like advertising at this point. If yeah. somebody's very interested, they can let me know. Yeah, okay, cool. Thank you, Vitaly, for... Thank you oh, so much for course. being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. We'll be back after a short break. So into the news section now, uh, Diana is going to tell us a bit about uh, some of the conferences coming up, uh, s some of them next week and some later in the year, some of the JavaScript conferences happening in Bucharest and in uh, Romania. Yeah, we have a lot of conferences happening this year on the JavaScript front-end part. The first one is on the 21st of May called Vox Days Frontend, which we, we're going to have a workshop there at JS League called Three Frameworks, One App. Basically, it's the battle between our most exquisite trainers in Angular, React, and Vue. I really hope to, to see you there. Yeah, so they're going to build the same app using the three frameworks and uh, mm -hmm. people can decide uh, which one is the best, the easiest, and the most uh, useful for them. I think we already know that answer, but no spoilers in, the post, in this podcast. Is, is it Ember? <laughs> it's jQuery. The second one is um, JSCAM Bucharest on the 24th of September, I think after uh, two years' absence. Yeah, it's been a few years, I think. Yep, yep. Cool. And the last one is a newcomer in Timisoara, Revo.js, held by our friends, and it's held on 3rd uh, and 4th of October. 
So the call for papers is in from the for the Timisoara one. Yeah, so if you have any interesting ideas for presentations, please submit your papers to, to revo.js and uh, we, can, uh, we can see you there and hear about the awesome things you've been working on. Yeah, we can put a good word for you. Yep. And for the piece of news that everybody has been waiting for this past half an year, still waiting for that Angular 8 release. Yeah, it's supposedly coming at the end of May, but who Not knows? sure yet. Yeah, hopefully by the end of May we're gonna we're gonna get that Angular Angular 8 release everyone's waiting for. Cool. And now Mihail is going to tell us about the new interview question of this episode. Okay, so for uh, for the previous interview question we had for episode five, we we got an answer from uh, Florine, the same Florine that's uh, been uh, giving us great uh, responses to all of the interview questions we've had. And actually, several solutions for the same yeah, question. Yeah, he always sends in multiple solutions to the same question, and they're all like very interesting and he really he really puts time into finding these solutions so thank you Florine curious for Florine yeah and uh, keep uh, keep uh, sending us your solutions we're always uh, happy to see them and happy to learn a bit from them and uh, now to for the interview question of this episode uh, given an array of integers return a copy of that array that only has unique elements in the same order as they appear first in the original array. So basically, remove all duplicates of the elements you find in the array. And you can send in your responses at show uh, at jsleague.ro. And we're hoping to see responses from Florine and other people. Yeah, and all responses are going to be uploaded on our GitHub account. Yep. And now, uh, can you tell us a bit about our next guest? Sure. Our next guest is going to be Silvia Stegaru, co-founder of Codet. Codet is an NGO that supports programming workshops among students, high school students and university students, and promotes diversity. We're going to talk about future plans of Codet. They're go, uh, they're ha they have a lot of workshops, such as IoT for Girls and uh, a mentorship program, actually. It's going to be such an interesting um, podcast, mainly from the point of view of a girl developer. Yeah, it's uh, worth mentioning that Sylvia is going to be our first female guest on this show, and maybe we should, we should get more of the, them on the show. Yeah, to promote. We also promote diversity here at JS League Show. Yeah, because we're two hosts and one of us is female. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So the next episode is going to be released on the 31st of May. Yep. And until the 31st of May, signing off. See you next time. Bye.